Seahawks fans, wherever you may be. Welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alvstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Hey, Seahawks fans, welcome back to another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alvstead, here with Mr. Keith Myers. Keith, it's a beer review or beer sipping or beer sampling show mixed with a question and answer show. And we kind of combine that all and we, we see how much fun we can have in a little uh, afternoon uh, recording session. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I am, uh, I've been looking forward to this show for a long time because it's nice to, you know, we come to these shows mostly unprepared other than that we've collected a selection of brews. And uh, then we just kind of see what happens. And there were a lot of fun to record. So, um, yeah, I've been looking forward to this. Yeah. So we've got a few questions from uh, from our listeners. And we've got a few questions that we've put together for ourselves. And uh, I have no idea what you're going to ask. Likewise uh, uh, for you. Uh, we did come ready, though, with a, a, a selection of beer. I've got two beers that I've brought to the table that I'm going to uh, drink during the show. Um, but I'm going to let you kind of introduce the segment since you're the uh, beer aficionado um, <laughs> and you know a little bit more about it than I do. Um, although I do enjoy uh, drinking one now and again, especially today, Keith, I kid you not. It's 113 degrees outside. God, It is brutal down there. Uh, you know, that would be the, well, that was one of the big reasons why I left because I just, I could not handle the heat in the summer. It was just way too bad. Um, so anyways, but going into this, what we're, I've brought, I have five beers here. I am not going to uh, drink them all because I am not that kind of a uh, individual. Um, but what I'm going to do is I've got, um, these five, they're all, um, they're all different styles. Well, no, I got two of the same style. Um, but they're all pretty different beers. And I figured I'm going to let you, um, pick which one that I drink during while we're having our doing the show. And I'm going to review it as we go. Nice for the fun of it. So there's okay. So here we've got we've got some options here. So I went. I like. I tried to go really, uh, really disparate here. So I've got uh, Joe IPA from Ten Barrel Beer Brewing. Uh, that's always a good one. I've got a couple from Pelican Brewing, which is out on the ocean. We've got Raspberry at Sea and a Tsunami Stout, which is an export stout, uh, which is different than you know, uh, different kinds of, there are lots of different stouts, but it's a drier version. And I've got a lava rock portal porter from Dick's brewing in Centralia, Washington. And then the other one, which is a standby for me, it is the obsidian stout from, uh, Deschutes. It's more, it's a more of a sweet stout. Not, it's not like a milk stout, but it's, it's definitely not as dry as an export stout. So, um, those are nice. my five, my five here. Wow. And why don't you pick one for okay. me to drink? Well, I'm I'm doing a couple ambers, so I've got a Oak Creek Brewing Amber Ale, uh, and the Oak Creek uh, Brewing uh, Brewery is in Sedona, so I'm staying local in this show today for me. 
Um, and so I'm going to do an amber. And my other one is the Barrio uh, Rojo Scottish style amber ale out of Tucson. It's a little heavier than the um, than the Oak Creek. And I think I'll probably try to grant you the same favor and kind of go uh, a little lighter to begin with, and then end up with something a little bit more um, more balanced and more flavorful and a little heavier for you at the end. So uh, you need to help me a little bit with that because that would be, to me, would either be the um, the raspberry or the IPA to start and maybe end up with one of the stouts or porters. Is that how you would normally want to, want to do that, Keith? That would work. Um, normally I would do it in reverse just because the hops uh, are so strong in sure. the IPA that... Okay. I, I would do that afterward because right. otherwise it kind of it takes a few drinks before you get rid well, of. Well, do you want to do the mouth, two? But. Do you want to do the two stouts and compare the two? No, I'm, or would you want, want something a, a little well, bit different? You said you wanted me to do either the raspberry or the IPA, so take your pick. Which one? Okay, let's do the raspberry. Okay, just because so this is, I'm very curious myself because I normally so the only raspberry that I'm familiar with is the one over. Um, oh my gosh, I just lost it in my brain. Uh, McMinimums does mm, a, ra- yeah. a raspberry and usually mix that with the, with the, with the, um, the stout, right? And you get like the rubinator. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Something um, like that. Cause they also have Ruby, which, which is there. I don't know. I don't, they're, they make a bunch of different stuff and I tend to go for smaller breweries when I can. Um, yeah, right. But I've gotcha. had, I've had a few of them, but not, en- not often enough to know, to know like all of their offerings. Right. So, so that would be the only berry flavor beer that I think I've had intentionally um, in, in all my years. And so I'm very curious as to see what this one's about. And then for the second one, would you prefer the Porter or the Stout? It's up to you. I told you you're picking, not me. How about the the tsunami stout? Because I've never heard of it. I've I've had the Deschutes stout before, I believe. Okay, or at least so I'm doing, I've had a Deschutes stout. So it works out then that I'm drinking both from the same brewery, Pelican Brewing, um, which is on on the Oregon coast. They have three breweries: uh, Cannon Beach, Tillamook, and Pacific City. Nice. Pacific City is the original, the home one. I've been to all three of them. They're awesome. Um, one of my favorite breweries, which is why I have these here. Um, so you're saying you, you've only had one berry beer. I've only had one fruit beer that I thought hasn't been absolutely undrinkably bad. And, um, that was a raspberry half, uh, from North Jetty Brewing, which is also out on the coast, but on the Washington coast. Um, and you decided to get this one because you thought you'd give it a second shot. No, I've never tried this one before. I got this one because it's Pelican, and I've never had a bad beer from Pelican. And I've tried different styles, the ones that I don't normally like from Pelican, and I've liked them. Nice. I, um, do, I do too, actually. I, the, and, but it's been a couple of years since I've had one. It's the same for me from with uh, Freem um, from Hood River is they've like it, there are styles of beer that I don't typically like but when I try them from there I'm like okay I could get behind this but when I try it from anywhere else I'm just like yeah no this, <laughs> this isn't my thing That's um funny. and so those two breweries for me are kind of like uh I've yet to have one that's bad so we'll um 
that was the, the attempt with this. So it's an ale with raspberries, raspberry at sea. 6% um, alcohol by volume, only 25 IBUs. Let's see. Oh, well, wow, that's almost like drinking a seltzer. And it's really light. So does it have a lot of carbonation? Not really. It's just really light. It's, um, it goes right on past the tongue. And um, the flavor is there. It's, you know, but it's um, almost crisp, which is not something you'd think nice. of for a beer that's 6%. Um, now, that's kind of why I chose mine as, as the opening one, the Oak Creek Brewery uh, from Sedona, the Amber Ale. Um, it's, it's a 5.0 alcohol for me, but it's a lighter, kind of a caramely malt uh, and mm-hmm. kind of a refreshing finish a little bit. And the taste is sweet and, and slight, slightly citrusy and not a lot of hoppiness to it. But it's, uh, it's a good beer to drink when it's warm outside. Yeah, so this one, um, you don't taste a lot of the, uh, of the malt. It's, got, it's clearly made with a lot of the pale malt, um, which is the, it's the bulk of any brew, um, whether it's a, uh, a stout or a pale or whatever, because um, it's the one that gives you all the enzymes that turn sh- starches into sugar so you can ferment it. Um, but this is clearly made with a lot of that and very little else uh, as far as like it's just really kind of flat in, in flavor. It's one note um, as far as the, the, the malt goes. Um, very little hops. Very little hops. I don't know, like, um, it, it's, there's not enough for me to even give you a, an idea of what the hop variety might be. Um, cause there's, it's very little, it's just a little bit of bittering there that comes in at the end. Um, the raspberry is also pretty mild. Like it's not overly, it's not too profound. Uh, it doesn't like get in there and, and mask the beer. Um, but it's the whole thing is super light and crisp. And like I said, my first drink, it tasted more like a, like a seltzer, uh, like a white claw, like a raspberry white claw than a beer. Um, and then the second drink, and I'm like, no, now I'm starting to pick up the hops at the end and, and you're getting, I'm getting a little more of, right. um, of that, the floral nature of hops and, and, uh, overall for, especially for a, a, a fruit beer, I'd say it's pretty good. Ladies and gentlemen, all pro beer taster, Keith Myers. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um so hey, observation. We're okay. not talking about your beer. Like we've done 3 of these shows, Keith, or 3 or 4 of them, and you've always brought your own beer to the show. And what what? What's happening? Uh what's happening is COVID-19. Um my system is out of CO2, so I can't pour beer from it. And I can't get it because the place where I get my CO2 locally has not been open. Uh, If I had a business, they would deliver to the business so that way they don't have to open their doors for people coming in. Uh, But I don't. So I'm not a brewery. Is there any way that you could run that through a veterinary clinic? I'm asking for a friend. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I don't don't think that would work. Um, I'm not All sure right. why a veterinary clinic would ever need CO <laughs> like restaurant grade CO2. So, 
<laughs> All right, so here's the deal. So we're gonna keep sipping the, on these beers, and we're gonna we're gonna do some questions and uh, just kind of go back and forth throughout. Um, so hopefully everyone will stick with us and just kind of have fun, and uh, we're gonna loosen the tie a little bit and just kind of relax and just have a have a good show. Um, so we'll get back to the beers, but let's take let's take a couple of uh, listener questions right off the top. Uh, I had one from uh, Bruce. Uh, Coots um, at Bruce Coots says, um, do you think the defense will improve this year with the upgrade at corner? And could Ryan Kerrigan be a possible trade target for the Seahawks to upgrade their pass rush? And then he said, love the show. Love that comment. Love the show. Um, I'll go first. So for, for I'll take the first part and maybe, or the second part, <laughs> whatever. Um, the addition of like Quentin Dunbar and the full season of Diggs and the second season of Amadi and Marquise Blair and Trey Flowers in the third corner role improves everything, but you've got the loss of that, the stud in Clowney, right? But you've got better overall depth in Green and Collier and Mayoa and Irvin and now Taylor and Alton Robinson. And then you've got Jordan Brooks at linebacker. I think the defense is better overall. So that's my first part of the question. And as far as Kerrigan or the trade compensation or whatever it is, I don't think so. And and here's why. Kerrigan's, you know, a former first round draft pick. He's got one more year on his contract. Uh, he had kind of a down year in 2019, turns 32 in August, has an $11.5 million cap hit on his remaining one year contract. Now, he does have zero dead money. Like the Redskins have zero dead money if they cut him. And they so they could cut him and save $11.5 million on their cap, which is a better possibility than the Seahawks trading for him for that big, huge number. Um, and so, and he plays, a, he's a five tech. And so we've already got a couple of those guys. And with that big of a number, um, they would sign like Clowney. <laughs> you know, um, so I just don't think that that's, that's likely. Um, what are your thoughts on the first part of the question? Are the CX going to be better this year? Um, and the second part, do we, do we trade for a guy? And if it's not Kerrigan or are there other t- guys that you would, might prefer? So, okay. So tackling all of that, um, I think the defense is going to be better because I think the depth is better. Um, it's better on the back end. Uh, because you've, you've they've just got more players and better players and a lot less Tedrick Thompson, which is going to be a good thing. Um, they're better in the middle because you've got Brooks now there. You're not uh, looking for uh, Kendricks to be the guy, and Barton's got another year of experience. And they've got they really have five guys there in the at, at linebacker that can step in and start and play and be be great. Uh, so that's helpful. And then the defensive line is still, to me, it's it's the weakest part of, of that unit. But whereas last year it was, it was Clowney. And then if Clowney didn't get it done, uh, you were kind of hoping that Quentin Jefferson might, but he only had a couple of, of like really good games. And the rest of the time he was, you know, he was replaceable. Um, I mean, you, they didn't really have anything in terms of a pass rush from the front. Uh, the front four. And this year, instead of, you know, when Connie was hurt or when he was double or triple teamed, you know, they couldn't do anything. 
this year, you know, between Taylor and Robinson and Mayoa and Irvin and, you know, they've got guys, um, they've got a lot of guys. And so if, a, if someone has to come off the field, if someone gets hurt and misses a game, there's not going to be that huge drop off. Um, I just don't, I know that it's not as good at its best without Clowney, but it's far better uh, at its worst. Uh, this year than last year. So it's a lower ceiling, but much higher floor uh, as far as the front end. But I think the improvements in the middle and at the back more than make up for that. So I I would think that they're better uh, overall. So you think Quentin Dunbar kind of raises the bar overall, helps them, helps Uh, them raise the bar. It helps. Um, I would say it's getting digs for an entire season, getting Dunbar and then adding Brooks. Uh, basically, or the, or the book, the Brooks, um, Kendrick, like trade out and then getting Irvin, which just kind of, you just tack on there as, uh, an additional depth piece that wouldn't, wasn't even, you don't, you know, he's not even, there's not even anyone to replace from last year. Like it's just extra. Um, and I, I just think snaps that, for Marquise Blair, that would be great, especially in the big nickel, um, just to get him in there as a, as a third safety uh, in the big nickel, get he him some time. So well in his limited time, I just think that adding him a little bit more would be a really nice addition. Mm-hmm. I I would love to see him get start and um, let McDougal be the big nickel and and be a, a rotational guy that rotates in and out at different nice. spots and and does different things. He's so versatile. He can you know he can play free safety. He can play strong safety. He can. Uh, line up and play a weak side linebacker if he has to. I mean, he's so versatile. I, I kind of like him in a a rover type role where he does a little of everything. Um, I think that they could get a lot out of his skill set that way. It, but you'd have to have then have Blair be your um, your starter, which I would also be okay with. Um, the second part of that question was about Kerrigan. I'm with you. I is it a possibility? Sure, but the the there's the, the one part of it is the compensation has to be next to nothing. Yeah. They're basically, it's going to be, we're going to cut him. If you want him, um, yes, trade right. for him because, because other people are, then you don't have to compete with other people for him. And the stacks go, sure. Here's a seventh round pick or a sixth round pick. And they go ahead and, and they bring him in. Um, yeah, but that cap hit it, is still 11.5. The cap hits. Yeah. It is. It's, it's still brutal. Um, and and so I don't know what you do with that. Maybe you have as part of it a thing where you work out a deal where he adds an extra year. So instead of one year, you get two out of him, lowers his cap number down, but he still gets his money. You just spread it out over two years type of thing. Um, I don't know. I just You're trading for a 32-year-old on the last year of his contract. That's not someone that you're gonna you're dying to go out and get yeah he had five and a half sacks in 2019 too it's not like he was ultra productive mm-hmm. it seems to me that it's more likely the CX try to get a defensive tackle in you know timmy jerrigan uh seven played seven games in 2019 these guys are all free agents right now mike daniels uh, out of football in 2019 snacks harrison we already we, you know everyone's talking about this guy but he's more of a run stuffer xavier williams mm-hmm. run stuffer jonathan hankins Run stuffer. Those guys are out on the market right now, unsigned. Seahawks could pick those guys up, and I think that's the more likely scenario where there's not a lot of out of pocket for any one of those guys, and it's a position of need um, when you take a look at the roster. And um, I don't see him going out and spending that that kind of money on a guy that's at the end of his career. 
Um, maybe if he's caught and he comes in on a bet minimum thing, maybe. But he's already playing. He's, he's playing a five-tech spot where we've got Green and Collier. Um, and I'm not sure if he'd be any better right now at this stage in his career. Well, we don't know about, what, about Collier, and maybe he's maybe he just it develops into nothing. Um, Collier's going to have and, a great year. So, I'm calling it right now. If the Seahawks play it. <laughs> 2020 season Collier's going to be an emerging figure in that defense. I'm calling it right there. I hope so. I I really hope so. Um, Right now I'm banking on Rasheem green who's shown flashes of greatness in his two seasons, but they've only been flashes and they've been um, come in between long gaps of, of lack of production. Um, I'm hoping that he can turn those flashes into uh, regular production. And if he can, um, he's going to be a great player. And I, that's to me much more likely and much what I'm counting on as far as the development, uh, goes, um, if Collier develops beyond a situational or rotational backup type of thing, that's just bonus. Like, I mean, there's absolutely no downside to him developing into that. I, I'm just trying to keep my expectations for him a little lower just because we didn't see anything and I don't want to get fooled just because of his draft status. So the next question uh, comes from Camden uh, McLaren. And the question is, and I'm going to just read it and then we can dissect it. Um, Cause I'm not exactly sure if it is meant the way that it is stated. The question is, assuming the NFL does not play any games in 2020 and they roll all contracts back a year, and we need Mm -hmm. to figure out what what is meant by that, what Seahawks players would you expect to be gone in 2021 that would have played in 2020? And I can only assume that she's uh, referring to just uh, one-year contracts. So you've got guys like Greg Olson, Bruce Irvin, Quentin Dunbar, Hollister, Mayoa, Hyde, Apati, Agbuahe, Nico Thorpe, Posick, and Dorsett. There's a couple other guys, but those are the guys in one-year contracts. Um, depending on how the you know the league, if if we don't have a season, how does the league address? all these type of players um, and the contracts they've signed and then they don't play any games and does it accrue? Does it not accrue? Do they default back to their 2020 contract status for 2021 and and play that year then a year later? Um, those sorts of questions need to be thought out and answered. I don't know how to interpret that question exactly other than to say, you know, it's a crapshoot. Uh, if, if all those contracts are now voided in 2021, I would say that the likelihood of one or two of those guys coming back is is probable, but most of those folks that we just talked about would probably likely be be gone. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of of one year rentals, you know, guys that are are there to 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 bridge a gap to, until a young player is ready, um, even if it's a young player who's not currently on the roster, but they're waiting ahead till next year's draft uh, type of situation. Most of those players, I think, are um, they're here for one year. They're here to, to come in and make an impact, and then they'll go sign a contract elsewhere. Um, and I the think exception that could be Quentin Dunbar, obviously, and, and the other and one possibly Dorsett or Hyde if they work out and they might sign a one or two year deal after. 
you know, because they're yeah. younger guys and they have a little bit more in the tank. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe Bruce Irvin, because if he uh, shows that he's productive, likes the role, likes the locker room, all of that, they know him. Uh, I could see him, you know, signing on for an extra mm-hmm. couple of years. He's getting a little older, but basically he would sign on for about for two more years and, uh, you know, be there and kind of like finish out this, you know, his career here in Seattle where it started. And I could see that happening too. So, um, and anyways, that's how I read the question is, is that basically like you go into 2021, there's no games in 2020, but all the contracts advance and what do teams do? Um, and to me, I, I think you just go into next off season as kind of a blank slate. You don't worry about what you wanted to do this year. Uh, because you're in a different cap situation, you're in a different draft situation, um, and you go figure it out from there. And I think that that is um, what you have to do, rather than going at the at this from uh, the individual, like, oh, well, you know, we had this guy who we, we brought him in to do this role. Let's let's just re-sign him and you know try again. Uh, yeah. Because now they're you know, know you older can look at it and both ways. different players available. You could look at it in a different way entirely and say that if, if, if the NFL doesn't play, it's very unlikely that college plays. And now you're going into a year with no college football and you go into a draft with you're depending on evaluating players from, you know, 18 months prior. Um, mm-hmm. And you may elect to depend more on veteran players uh, next year than ever before um, just because of the lack of evaluation of the college players coming into the NFL. So it could be a really screwy couple of years here. I mean, and it's very difficult to predict exactly how it all plays out. Well, and the other, the other factor here is that, so the salary cap of any one year is based on the revenue of the year before. Um, the revenue is almost entirely set by the TV contracts, like all of the gate and concessions and all of that um, actually doesn't even factor into profit sharing. Let's just stay um, local with the owner and that kind of stuff. So the salary cap is really based off of the, off of the, um, the revenue share, which is the TV contract. Um, If there are no games, there's no revenue. So what does that do to the salary cap? And what does that do to current contracts? And you're going to see this be a negotiation thing. As we've seen with the NBA and Major League Baseball, it's going to be something that's going to come up. There's going to be a collectively bargained solution to this, even if it's for one year, just to get the you know everything back so we can actually have football and get the revenue back where it used to be so that they can move forward. There's got to be something involved in that. And without knowing what that might look like because there's right now there's an infinite possibility um you know it's really hard to predict anything that that anyone's going to do because if they're like oh we're just going to prorate everyone's contract to you know a certain number um you know let's say 50 percent of what it is so instead of russell wilson making 35 he makes uh 17 and a half um and they're you know, the cap's cut in half that way. Well, I could see teams, um, you know, definitely going young because anyone that is a free agent isn't going to want to take a half a deal. They're going to be like, wait, just because everyone else's contracts got, got cut in half, if you want to sign me, I'm still worth this much. Um, 
And I think that, that you're going to basically, there, there are teams that will pay it, but I don't think you want to do that in a situation like, you know, where that, where the salary cap is much lower. Uh, why would you pay normal price? And so at that, in that case, you'd go, you'd go young and you go looking into the draft and you go looking for people who aren't going to cost much on a tiny salary cap. Very interesting. Uh, what's your, do you have any questions written down? I've got, I've got two. Um, although I just clicked off the screen that had them. So let me grab them again. <laughs> um, so this question comes from at words, read never, uh, or words read never. Um, and it said that we did ask for left field questions. So it said, should the UK be worried about chlorinated chicken imports? <laughs> Uh, and then also it also he, he also adds is i bet you don't tackle that one but i specifically since he said he bets we don't don't tackle that one i wanted to make sure to bring it up and i actually researched this a little bit nice and i'm glad answer, that you and, did keith and the answer is kind of <laughs> <laughs> because the truth is that they have been noticing this um currently the uh you know, if you think about concentration, like the parts parts per million, parts per billion is low enough that it's not um, in any way, shape, or form a toxic dose. It's just there. Um, and it's troublesome that it, that it exists, but it's low enough that I think you can get away with it. What I would be concerned about is what we don't know about in this situation is there's not good uh, science to show if it's cumulative. So if you have that really low dose over a long period of time, if that is a problem, um, the current science suggests no, but there's not a lot of stuff there. Uh, and so that would be, um, you know, that would be one of those things that you kind of need to uh, to watch for. And then the other thing is, okay, if it might be okay now, but does that level get stronger, um, you know, get higher? over the next few months. Cause if it does, then absolutely. Then you're talking about getting up to where you could have a low level toxic dose. And that would be catastrophic. You know, here's my, here's my thing. And this is kind of a Donald Trump answer. Uh, don't kids swim in chlorinated swimming pools all the time and swallow water. Okay. That's the end of that. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the answer is. Um, obviously anytime you put chemicals in your body that, normally aren't naturally uh, ingested or created. Uh, it's problematic and can be. Um, you know, what if you get a chicken that uh, is hanging around the chlorine just way too long and it, it collects a lot more particles per billion, as you describe it, um, than mm -hmm. the, the chicken next door? Um, and then, you know, does that come out in the cooking process? Uh, does it stay in this in your system for a long time you know like you said does it accumulate over over time who knows um strangely there's not a lot of science about people um ingesting chlorine simply because like you know if you drink bleach it'll kill you yes so, right <laughs> people maybe this for is some a reason good people thing. have maybe not wanted to participate in this study <laughs> <laughs> maybe this is the covid19 answer we've all been waiting for just chlorinate our chickens and you know it, it helps us it preserves slowly, us not in more ways than one <laughs> slowly disinfect the body 
Um, wow. <laughs> okay. That was a great and question. Then, <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah, that was, uh, like I said, I had to research it. I didn't, obviously, if you are really familiar with the issue, you're probably shaking your head at me because <laughs> I didn't answer it well, but I, I did research it for about 15 uh, or 20 minutes and that's about nice. it. I read like three, three news articles about it and I was like, okay, that's good. <laughs> um, uh, but okay. So then there's another, there's another question here and it says, um, interested to know if you have a favorite Scottish brew, uh, and it says not whiskey, which is too bad because Scotch whiskey is, um, nice. it's, you know, a single, a good single malt Scotch is, uh, special, uh, especially one that's been aged for like 18 years. And, um, I mean, I don't tend to do that very often, maybe once a year, but it's a treat. Um, yeah, I have a bottle of, uh. 12, 12 year age scotch that is now 18 year age scotch. Cause I've had it sitting in my, in my, uh, <laughs> in my collection for at least six years. Um, I'm not a scotch drinker, so I, I keep it for somebody that comes over and requests it and I haven't had any requests. So it's been sitting there for a while. Hopefully it still stays good. I, I would assume it does over time. Okay, so I do have a couple of brews from Scotland that uh, I've tried and have enjoyed. Um, one is called Wolf from Windswept Windswept Brewing, um, and it's a it's a strong dark ale. It's um, in America, I think we would, I would call it, a, it's very much closer to a porter um, than it is an ale, even though porters are ales, that's a brewing temperature thing, but whatever. Um, uh, but it has kind of that, that flavor. And then it's got jalapeno, or not jalapeno, habanero, I think. Oh, wow. Um, just nice. just a, a little bit of it in the background. And there's something about... Um, chili beers you, you get a dark like a, a, a stout or a porter and you add just a little bit of that habanero heat it fits really well together it's like chocolate and mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. spicy uh which is a great combination a, a dark beer and spicy co- combines well so i've had that one once that one was really good and then um the other one trying to look um da, 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 da. Oh yeah, there it is. Um, it was from Tempest Brewing Company, um, and it was called Elemental. It's a dark ale, um, and it's. I'm trying to think of it. It, it. This is this is a true porter. This is more not. This isn't an American porter. This is a um, a UK porter in that it's it's just different. It's uh, a little less carbonated, made to serve a little warmer. Um, it's not quite like kind not quite an English brown. It's a little darker and thicker and and maltier than that, but it's um tasty. Just absolutely tasty. It's a robust porter too, which means it's got a higher alcohol. That always helps. Um but yeah, it's if you're if you end up in one of those places where you can get import beers from, you know, uh craft breweries outside the country, look for those cuz those are those were tasty. Um, and I honestly don't know if I've had another beer from Scotland besides those two. Uh, it's yeah, just that's not interesting. I mean, I've got, I've got three Scottish style ales right now in my possession. I'm going to drink one here in a, in a minute from uh, Barrio. Um, 
but I've also got a Founders Brewery uh, Dirty Bastard Scotch Style Ale, which I'm looking forward to um, to tasting. And then I've also got, um, what is it? Yeah, that one, the Founders uh, Dirty Bastard Scotch Ale, and then the Barrio uh, Rojo Scottish Ale, mm -hmm. uh, Amber Ale, that I'm going to try here in a minute. And then I've also got some Irish style um, red ales too. So that's that's kind of my favorites. And one of the, the the local favorites here that everyone seems to be drinking in Phoenix is the Kilt Lifter. Um, it's a Scottish Which is funny because that's that's from up here. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, in yeah. Pacific That's Pike Brewing um, on Pike Street, like literally just pat, just at the end of the market, the, the Pike Street market. Um, great, awesome. Gravity fed, gra completely gravity fed brewing system there, um, and they make uh, Kilt Lifter. That is one of my favorite beers of all time. Just absolutely outstanding. They made um, a uh, they made a hundred calorie version of that build uh, beer called Guilt Lifter, and nice. uh, it's my go to favorite beer now that I have in my refrigerator. So I'm not mm -hmm. a huge beer drinker. Like I will have a twelve pack and it will stay in my refrigerator for like two and a half three months. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I'm drinking, you know, a little bit of red wine now and again, I'll have a beer, I'll have a margarita, but usually, you know, three or four times a week, I'll have one of those and that'll mm -hmm. be the kind of the limit of my, my drinking. Um, and it seems, it's funny. I drink, I probably drink a little bit more here in Arizona than I did in the Northwest only because it's just warmer here and it's, it's kind of nice to have a refreshing beverage at the end of the day. It, it, it just is. So. Um, they all, they have another version of Kilt Lifter that is been aged in bourbon barrels and it's just a bourbon barrel aged Kilt Lifter that wow. my daughter honestly, would love that. If you can find it, buy it like just straight up. It will, it, it'll be one of the better beers you've ever had. Nice. Most beer, most beer that's, um, from you know a mid level like a a Vienna uh, Marzen Scotch ale that from that level and darker, it, age it in some bourbon barrels and man it just gets better it just gets better um, and when I had the, I've had I've had it once uh, found a kilt lifter that had been bourbon ba bourbon barrel aged and it was fantastic so so I have uh, one more question from a listener uh, K Nuri. Uh, at K Neary on uh, Twitter asks Antonio Brown, yes or no? No. So for me, <laughs> and I agree, I, you know, you have to look at it as a, in a cost benefit analysis as a team. You know, if you're John Snyder, you're not just going to say outright, no, you're not going to say yes. You're going to really look at it. That's because you look at every deal. Um, but this deal, you look at it, it's like, no, thank you. Uh, sure. He's got four all pro seasons, but he only's caught four passes in the last eighteen months. He's thirty-two year old uh, years old this year. He's burned two franchises in the last eighteen Three. months. Three: Raiders, Three. Patriots, and uh, Steelers. Pittsburgh. And then mm -hmm. uh, he's un under police investigation, league investigation for assault and rape and other things. Faces a minimum of eight game suspension when if he is uh, reinstated, um, and he's just a toxic cancer. Um, and I wouldn't want him around the team. Like end of story. Like it doesn't seem to be the, that complicated. On top of the 
the toxic cancer part. There's the rape allegations yeah, and the right, child exactly. abuse allegations and and you know these things that have nothing to do with football. And you're like, do you really want that around your team? Do you really want to invite that into your city? Um, and on a team that's got uh, Lockett and Metcalf already, and where um, Josh Gordon is now an option. I just I don't see the need to take the risk to bring in a guy that, yeah, if everything works out great, you've got one of the best players in the NFL. But what's the probability of hitting, you know, of hitting that particular jackpot? I think it's pretty low. And therefore, so, I'm just not I'm not going to take I'm not going to take that risk. It's just not worth it to me. So um, speaking of Josh Gordon, I've got a few questions for you. And unless, I'm going to have a Josh Gordon question right up front. Um, so Josh Gordon asked for a reinstatement. Uh, mm-hmm. If you really take a look at our roster and take a look at the position group, you know, behind Lockett and Medcalf, you've got Dorsett that looks as to be the likely third receiver. And then you've got a, just a whole bunch of stuff. Um, it looks like we could use a guy like Josh Gordon to kind of solidify that spot. Okay, if we bring him in, what are the what are the roster ramifications of that move, and does does his reinstatement come with a suspension for any games? It shouldn't, because what he was suspended for is no longer against the rules. That's why his reinstatement should be a given, um, and it shouldn't come with any. So should his, his should his reinstatement just be like an expungement? Like all marijuana arrests over the last however many years for a, a city are they're just automatically expunged, no longer count against you. So when you they apply should. for a job, yeah. it's no longer on your record, et cetera. Um, as you know, in the states that have legalized things, or in the towns, or whatever, and you look at um, Kansas City and, and other places that are doing it, even in the states that don't. Um, yeah, if you are if you're going to basically legalize it and be like it's no longer a crime, we're just ending this policy, then the people who violated that are currently in jail or suspended from their job um, need to get reinstated. They need to get let out. It needs to just go away. And I'm okay with that. I think that's the right thing to do um, overall, and I think it's especially the right thing to do. Uh, in Josh Gordon's case, he needs to be around a team. He needs to be around the structure and the organization and those kind of things, because those are the things that are going to help him uh, in his life. Uh, and as far as like getting past his um, dependency on on these kind of things, it's not going to be a suspension and pushing him out away from all of his support network and into the presence of the people who got him in trouble to begin with. That's not going to help him. Helping him is going to bring, is going to be bringing him in to an environment that's going to um, be there for him to be a support network. And if suspending him and, you know, all of these kind of things were going to work for him, they would have worked a long time ago and they haven't. Uh, I, so I think that the best thing for him is to get him on a team, on a roster, and let him uh, just be a part of that organization. And that's what I would love to see the NFL do. And because of their new policy and the current um, you know, CBA agreement that says that they're no longer testing for any of this, um, 
then I would say, yeah, he needs to uh, be given that opportunity. Sweet. Uh, next question. With COVID-19 raging and setting record illness metrics in a number of states and with no let up and no real mitigation efforts to curb that, um, how confident are you that there will be any kind of football played in 2020? You know, I, I read a thing that said that um, scientists in other countries, uh, Europe, Asia, um, have basically looked at what's going on and said that the U.S. has given up. We're not even going to try anymore. That sure um, looks that way. It, and, and that's it, it in a lot of places, uh, like where you are in Florida. Yeah, that's what's happening. Um, and other places, uh, Washington up here just issued a, uh, you must wear a mask if you're anywhere in a public place. Uh, indoors or outdoors, um, you know, we're, we're going to continue to try. Uh, but for most of the country, it's it's like they've given up. So in uh, in the, the governor, uh, Ducey, uh, came out and said, I'm not going to issue a statewide mandate on masks, but I'm going to allow cities to be able to do it earlier. He blocked cities from doing mm-hmm. it. So this is just the development in the last five days or so. So the city councils, local city councils, you know, quite a bit, the majority have come out and made their own statements requiring masks. Others have not. But Maricopa County, the largest county, the county with like 40, 4.5 million um, people that live in it uh, just came out today, this morning with a, with a mask requirement. So good. hopefully, you know, that'll help. That'll help turn it around a little bit, but it's it's a tough it this this state in particular is interesting to me um because it's definitely on the libertarian side of things um Mm -hmm. based on where i've come from in the northwest it's a little bit uh a little bit more uh you know stay out of my business type of a, a state um and so we'll see how that that goes but i think that will help that'll help um drive those numbers down a little bit and you know i i don't see it closing up like it was before where um, Mm -hmm. businesses are closed and there's a stay at home order and all that stuff. I think that's probably passed. I think now you're going to see the hopefully more, you know, common sense solutions, washing your hands, wearing masks, social distancing. Hopefully those things kind of come back into not being a political statement, but more just common sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. I don't, that's, that's, that's a completely different issue. We can get into like, um, the whole, like wearing a mask is a political thing. I don't get, I don't either. It's It's weird. It's, do you want to be safe? Then wear one. And keep other people that you love safe. And do you actually care about anyone else other than yourself? Right. Yes. Okay. Well then you should wear one. Um, and, and that's the end of it. And, uh, there is literally no, counter side to that there's well, no and that's the issue, there's nothing it, else. you know some people are just it's beyond reason with certain things and certain people and certain outlooks and you know at that point you just you can't argue anymore you just have to move on okay um okay i got a couple random questions sure. for you. wait nothing to do with football okay let's get to it in half a second okay Let, i'm gonna open up my second beer uh-oh because we're 45 minutes into the show, and i got to make sure I open this before the show ends. So this is my Barrio uh, Rojo Scottish Style Amber Ale. Nice. 
That's a nice sound. <laughs> so I'm pouring it, and uh, it's got a it's got a real nice deep chocolatey amber um, look to it, and it's developing a real nice um, tan head to it. That looks really nice. Yes. 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 Except for that, no one that's listening to this can see. No what one can you see, but at. you know. And it, I'm just not a very good beer person. <laughs> like you gave this <laughs> incredibly eloquent, like five minute speech on your first beer, and for me, it's like, yeah, it's kind of ambery looking, and it's got a head on it. And when I took the, the first taste, it tasted good. <laughs> that's my analysis. <laughs> um, so let me take a, a sip of this. Ooh, that's got so much more depth and texture than the first one. I There's nothing against the Oak Creek Brewing uh, Amber Ale, because it would be like an everyday beer that sits in your fridge and you give it to friends when they come over and you can keep it around a while. This other one is um, way more, uh, has way more texture and depth. And uh, I don't know, I don't know the proper words to use to describe what I'm tasting, uh, like beer language, uh, but it's it's really malty. There's not a lot of hoppish to it. There's no there's not a lot of bitterness at the end. It's it's a little teeny bitter, but more sweet. Um, but yeah, that's good. I enjoy that. Awesome. All right. So, question: You had a couple of non-football related questions. Oh, I've, these are and these are just downright silly. These are frightening to me. Okay, go ahead. Um, so, what's the most memorable book you've ever read? Wow. Interesting. Probably The Cosmos by Carl Sagan. Mm. That was the most impactful book, I, and I received it as a gift. I, as, I think I was 20, 21, 22 fresh out of college. Um, I had taken astronomy in, in school and really enjoyed it and, um, showed a lot of curiosity in it. And my aunt gave me the fully illustrated version of the cosmos by Carl Sagan. So it was, had all sorts of colored pictures in it and diagrams and drawings and, and, um, actual pictures of the, the universe and the, the cosmos. And, I read it cover to cover and it was just one of those books that kind of changed your life. And I remember that the most. See, I would have, I'm going to go in exactly the same direction, different, a different author uh, a little bit later, but not much. Um, it would be a brief history of time by, yeah. um, let me look for it. Cause uh, the name just skipped my, my brain, but it's right there. Um, the guy in the wheelchair. Yes, it's in my... Uh, hold on. I'm going to grab it because it's literally on my shelf. Hawking. That's who it is. Yeah, ah, Stephen my Hawking. Brain. Yeah. I know. I lost uh, it too. Stephen Hawking. Yeah, no, I've, I yeah. have that. I have the follow-up to that, and I've read that, and I think I gave that to my, mm-hmm. my the 13-year-old son last year to read. Oh, it's such... It's It's... It, he does such a great job of taking the most complex, crazy 
mathematical things that we've ever come up with um, and boiling them down into something that anybody can read and get some understanding out of. Uh, he's so good at that. And I, it was just one of those books that was like super inspiring. And I'd already, uh, I was yeah. in, I was in school as a, you know, as a physics major. So I was already kind of into that stuff, whatever. And then I read that book cause somebody gave it to me. My dad actually gave it to me. And I was just remember thinking, I'm like, Right. Let's let, you know, this is one of those like reaffirm. This is definitely what I want to continue studying. Um, this is where I want to be because it's just, it's just speak. It just spoke to me as like being, this is what I want to study. And it was great. And then I ended up not doing it anyway, because I spent my time in a <laughs> That's lab. That's funny. I know I've read that book and then I read it again. Like I finish it and then I read it again because you only pick up like 25% of it when you first read it mm-hmm. through. You're like, this is just some big stuff. I need to read it again. And, uh, yeah, fun, fascinating. Like I've always been interested in that that sort of stuff. Uh, Paul, there's a whole bunch of other stuff out there. Uh, Paul Green and there's just all, all that physics stuff just is very intriguing. Um, I'm currently reading the Enigma Cube by uh, Douglas Richards. Um, it's kind of an alien art found artifact type book. It's a thriller. It's, it's not a spy novel, but it's got kind of that intrigue and chasing you know around the world to try to figure this thing out and solve it and protect it and uh all that kind of intrigue type stuff um so i've always been uh, interested in i don't know sci-fi thriller type type books but the but the sagan thing geez i mean that just kind of changed everything i mean because if you really think about it when you grew up at least in my time frame uh in school, you just really didn't learn a lot about physics and astronomy and those sorts of things until you went to college and you took those specific courses. They just weren't available to you as as a young person, you know. And if your parent wasn't really educated in that, you just had no way of of learning it. Um, and so that was really awesome. Yeah, that's uh, um, that was a a nice answer to a, a question that I did not think would end up being that deep. So awesome. Um, you got one for me? Or yeah, you, no, I have uh, lead you with another no, one. I have a, <laughs> I'll, I'll give you one. So now that you and your lovely wife, Liz have opened up a business, a small business. Now you're officially a small business owner. Congratulations. Do you have any advice for those listeners out there that are thinking about starting their own business? Uh, don't do it in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, touche. <laughs> now, granted, that was never the intention because we started this, you know, like 18 months earlier, maybe even a little more. Um, it's a very long process to open a vet hospital because of all the, the capital that's required, all the all the stuff. It's it's not a... It's a brick and mortar easy. store, so it's it's a lot more involved than just a home-operated home business. Yeah. And so it's, it's, uh, it's there. I would say, um, what I don't skimp on the business plan, especially your financial projections, talk to good people who've done similar things to make sure that your, uh, financial projections are, um, conservative as conservative as you think they should be. And then go more conservative, uh, because the first chunk of time is expensive. Um, 
and your clientele, your your sales, whatever it's going to be, is going to be slow. It takes time to build a business, and the only way to survive that time is if you went into it with uh, projections and and backup cash and that kind of stuff that would allow you to uh, get through that time before you hit your break-even period. So go through the process of writing and developing a business plan, especially a marketing plan. Um, get some expert help. Um, that's the, the, the second thing would be to get hire great people and let them do their job. Get a good attorney, get a good accountant, get, um, you know, if you need a contractor, go get a good contractor. Don't go discount on these things. Um, and then listen to them, let them do what they do best because they know way more about that stuff than you do. Listen to them, take their advice. Um, they're only there to set you up to do good things. So, uh, those would be my, my two, my two big pieces of advice for people who want to start a business. Okay. Your turn. Um, okay. So this one, I have to figure out how I'm going to ask it because you have no idea what I would mean. Um, if I ask it the way that I wrote it, um, do you believe in ghosts and other paranormal phenomenon? Interesting. I've not had any personal experience with a ghost um, or things moving, you know, out of the corner of my eye that I couldn't explain or anything like that at all that have impacted me personally. So, um, but I'm not arrogant enough as a human being to say that they don't exist and that it couldn't be possible for other people or all that kind of stuff. The same thing with like aliens and extraterrestrial life. Um, I think anybody that studies physics and astronomy and the cosmos is as much as you, or as even as much as I have uh, just in as a hobby uh, would be um, foolish. If we said that no other life existed out in the universe um, statistically, it is probable that um, there are many Earth-like planets in our own galaxy. Um, it's it's estimated there could be as many as a hundred thousand Earth-like planets in our own galaxy that could support life. Um, and and of those dozens and dozens and maybe thousands would have advanced life. Um, and so I think that that, that is likely, um, have we had alien encounters and spaceships and all that kind of stuff here? I don't know. I've never personally experienced it. I think there's, there's mounting evidence that, that something has shown itself there. There's videos and other unexplained phenomenon, um, what you would call unidentified flying objects. Um, but they don't, there's no physical evidence. There's no, there's no, there's no feature film that shows like a real alien creature giving an interview. (laughs) You know, it's just not that simple. And so even that, I don't know, but again, I'm not arrogant to presume that it doesn't exist. Um, I think that, that you need to keep, searching, keep collecting, keep the stories coming. And 
I'm a believer in that. I'm a believer in, in allowing all of the evidence to, um, to present itself and to not hide the evidence and to, and to just allow the, the public to be, to make their own decisions about things. But yeah, as far as the ghost things, I just don't, I don't have any personal, I wish I did. Cause I think it would be extremely interesting and, and fascinating. And I would, I would be blown away. Uh, but I personally haven't had any experience. How about you? Have you had any experience at all? None, not, none whatsoever. What do you think? Uh, <laughs> Um, so the, I, I, I bring this up because, uh, I, I say that, that when I said that I didn't think you'd understand how, how I wrote out the question, because I, the question I was going to ask is, are you a Bugara or a Shaniac? Um, which won't mean anything to you, but it has to do with the show Buzzfeed Unsolved, where they look at, um, these famous cases of things and, and go and do investigations of famously haunted places and that kind of stuff. And one of the people absolutely believes that everything is uh, evidence of a ghost and the other guy is the complete skeptic. So they're just like on opposite ends. Mm. Um, and I think that um, I am more on the complete skeptic side mm-hmm. and my wife is more on the, um, the, on the other end of the spectrum. So we're kind of like there. And so it's, it's, which is part of the reason why it's fun to watch that show with her because we have like, um, we look at stuff and, and they'll be like, she'll be like, ah, oh, that, that's compelling. And I'll be like, no, it's not. And other things like, I'll be like, okay, I can't explain that in any way at all. And she's like, see, of course. And I'm like, whatever. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> but, um, but it's, it, it's fun. So, um, but yeah, so for me personally, I'm. How about, how about UFOs or life outside of our uh, own planet? Life outside of our own planet is a guarantee um, in that we found evidence of organic molecules on comets and things like that. So uh, I I think it's pretty safe to say, yes, absolutely. There's life out there. Um, Have they visited here? That's really hard to say yes to simply because of the physics involved and the difficulty of traveling, um, you know, multi-light year uh, distances and just accelerating up to a speed where you could do it in a few years worth of time to get from one to another and then decelerating back down, you know, slowing down to zoom on by. Um, Just the energy involved in those two things, it just, it's mind boggling. Um, and maybe it's because I'm used to the constraints of Earth and, and our civilization and where we are technologically, but um, the idea of getting to someplace in a, in a semi-timely manner to go be an explorer and then go bring that information back home, it, it just feels uh, impossible at this point. And so I have a hard time believing that anything's come to visit us and observe us or anything like that. Um, and, but the idea that there's nothing else out there is crazy to me. It's absolute. There's absolutely stuff out there. There has to be. Um, if you just look at the probability of the number of, um, earth-like planets that are in the, you know, the, the green zone from a, from a sun, just from the, the, the exoplanets that we've found using the Kepler t- telescope, there's there's been a ton of them. Um, and then 
we've and we've searched such a small tiny fraction of our own galaxy um and then to think that there are billions of other galaxies out there like yes there's there's definitely um other life in the universe besides on this little planet okay back to football um it was recently announced that fourth round draft pick Colby Parkinson had a Jones fracture in his fifth metaparsal uh, pinky toe uh, had surgery back on June 2nd uh, recovery can be 10 to 12 weeks, which would get him back by opening game, but would likely have him miss the majority or all of training camp. How will mm-hmm. this impact Parkinson's learning on the offense and hinder his development? And how would this impact the position group overall? Uh, it's going to hurt his ability to make an impact in year one because he's not going to get all those reps. He's not. One of the things with him was he needed to learn how to block. He needed to learn how to uh, create proper leverage and use his hands. And you're not going to do that studying film. You've got to get out there and get through it. You've got to um, go through the drills and you've got to do it so that way it becomes um, intuitive and just natural. And he's going to miss all of that, which means that all of that growth has to wait a year and so now it comes down to just his ability as a pass catcher and then he has a lot of talent there um but it limits his role significantly um and that's bad for him on the other hand you're in a, you're on a in a position group with disley and olsen and wilson and um um the other tight end, the one that caught all the passes last year. Why is my brain so bad with names today? <laughs> Holy cow. Hollister. Hollister. There we go. Um, wow, I'm just having a day. So, yeah, I mean, he's in he's in a room with that. I don't think it affects the, the position group because it's such a deep group already. Um, but it hurts him individually because it makes it harder for him to learn enough to expand his role enough. Uh, that he can get on the field. Yeah, I think it even creates a situation a where he starts the year on the on the pup list in order to just keep a guy like Wilson on the roster for another you know six weeks or whatever. You know, it, it, I could see that because you if he's not going to be ready, that means he hasn't practiced, and if he hasn't practiced, then he can be placed on the pup, get pushed out six weeks, uh, and be given a chance to work one on one with coaches and that kind of stuff. He can't yeah. participate in team drills, but he can. Um, do a lot of one-on-one work and learn some of that stuff that we were talking about. And it lets them keep Wilson who would otherwise have been cut. And then you've got a guy, a situation where keeping Wilson, Wilson can block on the move. He can be a fullback. You know who else it helps? Now you have to keep Nick Bloor. It helps Stefan Sullivan possibly because there's another big, huge red zone target guy. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Interesting. In fact, it, Pete Carroll's come out and said, you know, Sullivan's going to be a wide receiver. We're going to ask him to lose a little bit of weight. Could he go back to Sullivan now and say, um, sorry, you're going to tie that now. Uh, can you, can you put on a little bit of extra weight and see if you can become that, that red zone target for us? Uh, you know, now maybe that's the best option for him to make the team. I don't know. Um, okay. So another Another question. Um, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a series of questions. Wait, before you do your series of questions, I want to rate my second beer. All right. 
So this is the other one from Pelican, the one that you, you told me to have second. It is their export stout. It's called Tsunami. Um, 7%, 45 IBU. So it's still pretty low on the IBU scale. This isn't a, um, a hoppy beer at all. Um, first thing is that is really rich and the depth of the malt just jumps off out of the bottle onto your tongue. You feel it all the way across the tongue. It's got a real um, thick, deep, malty flavor. Uh, the hops there is, it's really mild and it doesn't show up until the very end and you kind of feel it a little bit uh, at the end. Um, otherwise, it's almost sweet because it's got so much malt in there. It's not sweet, but that's why it's bitter units. Um, but it's almost sweet because of the um, the amount of the, the the malt to hop ratio is really high. So you get all that that malty uh, flavor and and everything, and you just a little bit of hops at the end. Um, and they're very mild hops, even at that. And that they're not gonna they don't overpower anything. This isn't a Cascade hops where you're gonna pick up those citrus notes pretty strong or anything like that. It's um, more like a um, like a Tettinger or a um, Czech Saz, which is, um, they're noble hops, but they're, they're milder in flavor and they don't have those fruity undertones to them. Um, and it matches really well with the, the dark, uh, stout. And so you have these like notes of chocolate and oak and, uh, coffee, which none of those things are actually in there, but you kind of pick up those, um, deep, darker flavors, uh, through the the darker malts that are included in this and overall i mean this is a go-to this is an absolute go-to for me this is one of my favorites this is just a really good beer sweet i'm glad i chose that for you otherwise i was going to choose the the shoot stout and i'm curious now as to the difference in in the flavor profile of those but i won't ask you to drink it on this show because that would be after that it would be difficult for you after that, you'd be doing a, you'd be finishing the show on your own. So. All right, I'm going to give you a series of questions, and you just give me, you know, short answers. Okay. Uh, what is your go-to music streaming service of choice? Pandora. Why? Um, because it introduces me to stuff I've never heard before, uh, and that was kind of the the thing about Pandora when it first came out was that, you know, they, you say, okay, I want to listen to music that's like mm-hmm. pick a band and they'll give you things. They'll give you songs by that band, but also songs that have a lot of the same musical characteristics, whether it's uh, certain chord progressions or uh, themes in the lyrics and that kind so of thing. So it goes they, beyond, they, a, it goes beyond like a radio, like Tom Petty radio will have Tom Petty, but it'll also have a whole bunch of other stuff that's like Tom Petty. Petty. Yeah, and so it does that, but but it gives you some more deep cuts um, in there. Things that you people you've never heard of, small little uh, indie band type of stuff, um, stuff that you wouldn't you'd never hear on the radio. And uh, I like being introduced to new things. And sometimes the things that are new to me aren't new to anybody else. I'm just I I don't know where I've been, um, but it's it's given me. Um, it expands. It expands your your listening. 
pleasure. Yeah, if awesome. if it wasn't if it wasn't for Pandora, I wouldn't know who Panic at the Disco is, and I love their music. Um, I wouldn't know who Flyleaf is, and I love their music. And uh, so that's my my go to streaming service because I like being I like being um, I like learning about new music and new bands, and I just love that aspect of it and being being able to hear stuff that I've never heard before, even if it's been around forever and uh, being able to really enjoy it because if it's good, I don't care what's, what's popular. I just want to know if it's good. And if it's good, then I'm, I'm game. So um, that's why I go through Pandora. With, with that said, what's your, um, what's your favorite music genre right now that you're listening um, to the most? <laughs> My favorite, I don't know, I don't even know, I could call it a, like, if there's a genre involved, but it's basically, um, it's like modern alternative rock kind of stuff. So it's um, stuff, like I said, Panic at the Disco is there, Fall Out Boy, um, just a lot, Evanescence, a lot of those uh, modern rock Mm -hmm. alternative bands. I don't know. That, that that's just kind of been my thing forever, and so therefore, like when I was in high school, it was Nirvana and and um, all of the '90s Seattle music scene, and then um, I've just aged with that particular style of music, and I've kind of moved with it as it's changed and picked up Evanescence in the early 2000s, and then um, just other bands along the way, and then uh, most recently, it's been. Uh, those ones that I, I just mentioned, but it's, it's that same kind of style that, that alternative rock style. Nice. How about uh, movies and TVs? What's your favorite go-to service for that? Um, you might not believe this, but I don't really watch a lot of TV. Oh, I believe it. Ever. I'm, yeah. Um, I, I, it. I find watching TV to be too passive. And so there, cause I'm sitting and I'm watching and I'm just, sitting um, the tv normally game. doesn't come on in our house until after like 8 30 or 9 o'clock at night and then yeah. it's like for an hour and we'll watch like a uh a netflix show or a you know amazon prime or whatever like uh, homeland mm-hmm. or whatever we'll watch an episode of homeland or we'll watch uh you know whatever whatever it is the family all agrees to you know sit down together and watch something we'll, we'll usually kind of start a series and watch it but you're right. We're we're not sitting in front of the TV for hours on hours. It just like the most the TV's on at any one time it would be like two hours, and we're watching a back to back thing or whatever. But or watch that, a that's movie, it. yeah, yeah. Watch a movie um, or watch a sports. You know, the longest the TV's ever on is when there's like football on on Sunday. We'll watch a game or a, a game and a half or whatever. If I can get away yeah. with it, I'll watch a I'll watch a college game on Saturday. Um, my my t- my TV will be on on weekends with football um, all day. That's and you're right. So I, I shouldn't say that I, I don't want because there there is that I will I will put games on. I will watch games even if I'm they're on and I'm not actively watching. I'm doing something else, but they're just on. Um, it'll be on. But as far as like scripted shows or especially like reality TV kind of stuff. I don't tend to watch any of that kind of stuff. Um, like at all. I mean, we do have Amazon prime here. And so that I could say that's my go-to, uh, more recently it's been Disney plus I do have kids. Um, <laughs> and what, what I found is when we do watch TV, I like to find shows that 
excite my kids. And I don't mean like SpongeBob or anything like that. I mean, um, Disney Plus has a show on there called Shop Class, where uh, you have these kids that are 11 to 13 range, you know, you know two of them and one shop t- high school shop teacher. And their goal is to build something and they find out what it is at the start of the show and they build like a bridge, like a, you know, to span a certain gap and whatever. And then they, they put weights on it until it breaks. And then it's, you know, kind of a, a competition uh, as that kind of stuff. And my kids loved it. They loved it. Um, my uh, nine-year-old got so excited that, you know, at the end of watching, you know, the first few episodes, he wanted to go build something. So we designed this game board with the things that hold, you know, like uh, cards for this trading card, you know, game that he had to come up with a game to match the board and then um, got me involved. And so I showed him, you know, how to get a straight edge and how to make cuts with power tools and, and how to be safe and, and all of those things. And, uh, did a bunch of things and he built it and painted it and um, it excited him to learn something, to learn these skills and whatnot. And I loved that. Yeah. I just, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, and then we actually went through that because only, only one season of that. So we watched that. Now we're watching one where families like, it's a cooking competition where these families get together and cook and uh, same kid, nine year old has started wanting to learn how to cook. And so he's spending a lot more time in the kitchen when I'm cooking or when Liz is cooking and, and learning how to do stuff and, and learning some techniques and, and some of that. And awesome. It's just, these things, these are great. And I wish it the worked. Shows are fun too. I wish it worked for me in the same way that when like uh, packages show up on the door uh, and, and they're open and they're pairs of shoes and then over time, like multiple dozens of pairs of shoes show up like in a calendar year uh, for my wife, it would motivate me to make a shoe rack that would, you know, kind of a revolving <laughs> shoe rack where it, it would hold like dozens and dozens of shoes but would disappear like everything except for the front. Um, that would be, but I just can't seem to get there. I don't know why. <laughs> All right. So uh, next, um, if you purchase a new car today, what would it be? Ooh. If I purchased a new car today, based on today's finances, um, having just started a business, that what? No, 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 just, no, no finances. Just like, what would it be? What What looks fun? What looks interesting? Why would you do it? That sort of. Oh, thing. okay. So if would I, it if be I uta- just go would by it be utilitarian? Would it be fun? Would it be based on engine size? Like, um, it would be a Tesla Model S. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. I wrote down Tesla in my notes. I was like, I bet you you um, Tesla. Uh, yeah, because they're they are fun. They've got tremendous uh, power. You get all the torque the moment you put your foot on the pedal, uh, oh, rather that's than true. like with with another engine where you have to, it actually you have to spin it up to speed and you have to shift through all the gears before you get to your maximum torque. But with an electric motor, um, you just as soon as you touch the pedal, you have you have full torque. So their acceleration is crazy. Um, their top speed's crazy. They handle really well because they're light and all the batteries, the way they, they put them in there, uh, it keeps the the weight super low to the ground. Um, and on top of that, they're an electric car. So you can get like 300 miles, 350 miles um, of range. And then you bring it home and plug it in for 45 minutes and you're it's full and you're ready to go again. Um, and so it's got... Uh, I don't know. It's just it, that to me, it's just fun. And then at the same time, it's a, you know, a four seat, uh, you know, four door uh, car can seat five, I guess. 
Um, it's a, like a little nice yeah, family no, they car are nice. with all of the sport car yeah. qualities. Yeah, so I get I, it. Notice I didn't like even have to hesitate. I already knew an answer to that. <laughs> so uh, we just last week we went off the grid. So like I now get one hundred percent of all of our power from our solar panels on our house. So mm-hmm. we got enough panels to install to generate one hundred over one hundred percent of our energy. So anything extra, we get money back from the power company. And if you know anything nice. about Arizona Power. Uh, you know that it's outrageously expensive here, and they raise the prices like six to eight percent every year. So I've kind of hedged against that and uh, bought our own solar system so that we could be self-sufficient and eventually have free power. Because I got to pay off the system, but other than that, it's good. Yeah. Um, so with that, like Arizona, like people don't realize that there is, they don't have a you know there is not a great way to produce electricity there there's there aren't the rivers that you can set up dams like we have up here there's a nuclear power plant west of town about 25 miles out there is and that's where they get most of their of their power there are some solar farms that are out there Mm -hmm. there's some wind farms up north uh between where you're at and flagstaff but for the most part it's an area that buys power from other states and uh that's why it's expensive and it's also one of the fastest growing areas in mm-hmm. the country. Um, and so their power production is going up by a much slower rate than the power usage. And that's why the prices keep jumping up. So going solar um, is a, it's a fantastic idea. If you know, if you can, can get the stuff and the technology today has, has come a long way um, yeah. and it's actually pretty solid. Uh, I wonder how big the batteries are that they you have storing. It's interesting. Stuff in your house. So there is no storage. It goes directly into the grid. So it comes off the house, goes through a couple of uh, different um, power regulating boxes, mm-hmm. and then it 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 goes. It comes back into our. We use it directly, and whatever we don't use then goes out. So battery is it's on demand. So battery wise. <clears throat> To answer your question, I I don't know for sure how the technology works because obviously you need to draw power at night and you're not getting you're not generating power at night. So, but we don't have a battery. So I think what it does is it just generates the power, puts it back into the system. Because um, I know that there's um, uh, APS put their own box out there to monitor power back that I'm putting back into the grid. So, um, I think that's how they do it. Hmm, yeah. It's, it, it, it is interesting. It's really interesting. It, you know, the, the thing that fascinated me the most is, um, there's a, there's a few different power companies out here, a few different solar companies, but they make it so difficult. Like APS makes it really difficult to, to use solar. So they don't want to lose customers. Um, and so they make it very difficult, um, and so you kind of have to go outside of, of the power company here to, to do a, a solar system that makes sense financially. Um, and so we purchased ours. We're not leasing it. Um, so you, you take a loan out or you pay cash for it or whatever. Um, and there's a few different ones out here, including Tesla. Um, Tesla has its own solar um, batteries and mm-hmm. solar panels and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's interesting. But it was, you know, it's, it's competitive in that the 
price that we're paying for the system is the same or roughly the same as the the monthly um, outlay for power to the to APS. So instead of paying for uh, to Arizona Power, we're now paying the solar company to for the solar panels, and then the the energy itself is free. And I'd rather be doing that. Yeah. And and then and after twelve years, the system is paid off, and it's just free power. And the system mm-hmm. itself is supposed to last twenty five to thirty years. So hopefully, nice. you know, I'll have years, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of power usage over time free of charge, which would be good. Um, okay. Question for you. And we probably wrap this up too. Um, cool. you're currently a high school science teacher. I am. If you could choose another subject to teach or another grade level, what would those choices be and why? Um, it wouldn't be another grade level. I've taught middle school. It's never going to happen. Um, I've worked, I have elementary school kids. They are scary. Um, so it would would definitely be high school. So if I had to pick a, another subject, I also teach math. Um, but it would, you know, giving a choice, it would be like, uh, calculus or statistics or even geometry, which is what one of the classes I'm going to be teaching next year. Um, like that would be the thing, but I think that's kind of a cop-out answer since I had, I I do teach that. Um, it was interesting. I was not expecting you to say math. Um, I was expecting you to say history. Which actually was what I was going to say. Is my, my next thing would be history. Um, would I be good at it? I don't know. I think you I would be. I don't know it that well. I would have to, I would st- have to study a lot um, as we, we went into different units and different whatever. But the way that I would teach history would not be memorizing dates and names and battles and whatever. I would tell a lot of stories. <laughs> I, would, I would tell a lot of stories. Um, and uh, you know, do it as like you would try to relate to your students. Well, yeah. And I, it would just be like, let's, let's, we're going to tell a story of, of, you know, um, trying to pick, uh, ones that I know of, and I can't think of enough details that it would make for good, uh, a good podcast content. But, um, you know, the, like in the, in the, uh, civil war, there was a, uh, a black, um, spy for the union that was actually in that became like a servant or a slave inside um, the uh, like Robert E. Lee's like camp and and his house in order to feed information back to the union um, and to, so to tell uh, the Civil War history from that point of view um, where you know this, this absolutely instrumental person um in the civil war is someone that most of us have never heard of um was a you know an african-american woman who chose to cross enemy lines and to um you know appear to be a slave and pretend you know to be in 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 that role because no one would notice that no one noticed no one would notice her um in that role as a servant or a slave and and then to use that against the south to uh feed information to the north like that to me like tell those stories and to teach history as a collection of stories of people that would be fun no that would would be, be fun it would be i think it would be awesome and i i think i would really love it but my problem is that i don't know it 
I don't know enough of it. Um, and so therefore I would have to, it would be a real struggle the first couple of years to learn enough to teach it that way. And to be comfortable. Yes. Interesting. I got one last question. Football related. Okay. We'll end it on this unless you've got something else. Um, should Seahawk fans be thinking Super Bowl or bust in 2020 for the Seahawks? No. Or are we closer to being the same team that we've been the last couple of seasons? A playoff team, but a player or two away from truly, truly competing. I don't think Super Bowl or bust is, is ever uh, a smart choice. Just well, it because, was in 2012 uh, or th- you know, thir- slash 13 there. I mean, you, we woke um, up in the morning, you know, the, the day before the season uh, that year, and it was Super Bowl or bust. I mean, you could really sense that the team was on a mission and it was going to be that we were a Super Bowl team. I don't, I don't yeah, get it was that pretty easy in, in 13. It was pretty easy in 13 to go into the season honestly believing that you've got the best roster in the NFL. And as long as things don't just go terribly right. wrong, that you're going to be right. there. And they were there and they won it. And the same was true in, in 2014. Yes. And they got there and they were close. Um, and then things started to slowly disintegrate, you know, a little mm-hmm. bit here, a little bit there. Um, but I don't think they're there now. Um, I don't, I don't, they don't have, um, but they're not, a long way off from that. Look at what they've got on offense as far as the oh, I think the offense can definitely be a Super Bowl team. Running back, wide receiver, quarterback, tight end. If the offensive line is not terrible, mm-hmm. that is a Super Bowl caliber offense. Yes, um, I agree. On defense, I like the secondary. I like the linebacker group. If the uh, defensive line can get enough contribution from the kids then yeah, if, if you had a couple um, of the players step up and surprise like have kind of just breakout career type years where they're just really uh, like daryl taylor comes on and has you know seven to ten sacks in his first year yeah Alton robinson uh, has four or five and mayoa has seven and Irvin has seven and a collier is like a beast you know um, that could be, it, it's not entirely improbable that that mm-hmm. could happen, but it's, it's unlikely, but it's, it's within the realm of possibility. So I look at this team and I see a lot of youth that I would, I want to give another year to, um, I want, and I, I want to be fair to DK Metcalf and not expect him to be an all pro in year two and give him another year and say, 2021, go be that guy. Do what you got to do this year to be that guy next year. Um, I want to give Taylor and Rasheem Green yeah. uh, do you, do and you regret Brooks that, that the Seahawks coaching staff didn't give the young guys a little bit more playing opportunity last absolutely. year. Absolutely. Um, and, and like Blair needed to play more. Amadi needed to play more. And there's literally no reason why they let Jamal Taylor play in the slot instead of. I agree. Ugo I, I agree. And, that was the worst decision it was, of the entire coaching staff a, last year. I thought it was a terrible mistake not to get those guys more playing time. It just, it was, um, you look at DK Metcalf and he was a starter and guess what? He developed a lot during his rookie year. I mean, he was great at the beginning, but he became a more, much more complete player by the end, having given been given the opportunity, 
opportunity to develop over that time. They didn't give Blair that. They didn't give Imadi that. And now they're waiting. They didn't give Barton that. And mm-hmm. now they're, they're waiting, hoping that happens. Those three guys needed to have played way more than they did. Yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting, too, to see if, the, like, the fourth and fifth cornerback that we mentioned last week, the week before, like the Ryan Neal, the Brian Allen, those guys, if they can make the roster, if they have opportunities at all. You know, with Quentin Dunbar there and with Trey Flowers and with um, with Griffin, uh, there might not be a lot of opportunity back there. But it'll be interesting. The, the most interesting part of this entire year on the defense for me is the scheme and how guys like Brooks and Cody Barton and Marquise Blair and Amadi fit in. All those guys are young guys, but they all have these really incredibly um, big opportunities to make a huge impact on the defense and the way that it plays um, third down defense this year. You know, it's mm-hmm. uh, and and that could be a difference between going deep into the playoffs or not. And so I'm, I'm very curious as to see how the team does that, whether it sticks with its base defense and Brooks becomes this like close to pro bowl type caliber player that can drop back into coverage. And he's just amazing. You can't take him off the field. So you play him in the nickel a lot, or if Blair comes on and has this amazing year, like he has the potential to have, um, it comes in and be that big nickel, um, so I'm I'm very curious as to see how they play their base and their nickel defense this year. Yeah, I, I look at I, I look back at, at 2013 because I think that that is um, what everybody compares every Seahawk team to is 2013, and I know it's a, a really unfair comparison because that was one of the greatest rosters ever cons- ever assembled during the salary cap era. But if you look at that, um, where were who were the rookies that contributed to that team? You're not going to find many. Uh, the second year players, yeah, there were three really important ones in Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner, um, and Bruce Irvin. But where were the rookies? They didn't exist. Yeah, well, and Sherman that, came on. Um, Chancellor came on. Um, true, but those those guys were drafted in um, in 2010, and they came on in 2011. Um, yes, right. And. Right, right. So they they had been there for a couple of years before 2013 rolled around. 2012, you had they gave Russell Wilson the starting job week one. They gave Bobby Wagner the starting job week one. They didn't ease them in. They didn't like uh, take their time. They didn't like oh go with a veteran right. presence because they took the pain. You know, they, they took want, the growing they, pains in the first uh, six games of the year, and after that, they were gold. Yeah, and you go back to last year, and where was Marquise Blair? Where was Ugo Amadi? Where was Cody Barton? Instead, they went with, um, you know, Jamal Taylor and uh, Michael Kendricks, neither of which was good. So instead of taking their lumps over the first six weeks with players that have great potential and just need an opportunity to develop, they went with players with no potential that were just going to be bad and they were bad. Well, if, I mean, if guys like uh, Rashad Penny had a larger role or guys like Will Disley in his second year, um, that might've made, made a big difference. Um, you know, it's, it's tough to know, like Phil Haynes got hurt and then never really got into it. 
Um, there were there were opportunities, I think, for rookies to make an impact or second year guys, and we just had some injuries that kind of got in the way of that a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see. Some year. of it was some of it was injuries, but a lot of it was coaching decisions, like Blair not true. playing. No, that's very true. And they. And when Blair was forced onto the field and he played great and then people started to get healthy and what happened? He got put back on the bench and it's like, no, you've got a rookie who you drafted high. You have high expectations for. He got a chance to play and played great. Leave him on the field. And they didn't, they didn't, they didn't take the time to develop him. They didn't, they didn't give him that experience. They didn't plan for this year. And I think that was a big mistake. Yeah. Well, I think they did go a little bit win now last year, and I don't think they were quite a win now team. Um, and it, and it proved out to be that way. But it's hard to know in the middle of the season. You know, when you mm-hmm. you had, I think you went into that San Francisco game at ten and two, or ended up the out of the San Francisco game at ten and two. I mean, at that point, Keith, you're, I think you're thinking, okay, we've got a real shot. I'm going to play the guys that I know that are going to give us the best opportunity to win rather than develop. And I get that. I mean, it's a tough deal after that. It kind of went downhill a little bit, but. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm just, you just, you know where I'm at. I'm like, I think that you can never look at just this year. You all, you always have to look at this year and next year, and you don't have to start and roll with Marquise Blair at strong safety every snap. But you need to rotate him in, get him 10 or 15 snaps, get him some tape that he can watch of himself to learn from, because that's key to the development of a young player. And I really wish they had taken the opportunity to do that. And it's unfortunate that they didn't. So that's it. That's all. That's my list of questions. Um, It was a good show. We drank some beer. We answered some questions. Hopefully we hung on to our listeners. <laughs> and uh, and we'll be back to do it again next week. I have no idea what we're podcasting about next week. We don't have anything written down. We had the previous five weeks shows all written down in a nice, tidy little uh, calendar. And uh, and we have nothing from today forward. So it'll, it'll be interesting but to see what we come up with next week. But don't think that means we won't be here next week. Because <laughs> we will be. And we that's will true. be prepared. And we will put on a good show. Because we always do, and this is, this is show 178. We've had 178 consecutive weeks with Seahawk football. I think we can, um, we can honestly we say that we're the only Seattle Seahawks podcast that has been on for 178 consecutive weeks. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's that's good. I mean, that that's, sets us apart a little bit. So, all right. So we'll wrap this show up for today. Thanks for joining us. You can find Keith on Twitter at Myers NFL. I'm at NW Seahawk. The show is at Hawks Playbook on Twitter. Seahawksplaybook.com has all of the podcast archived, every current show. You can also uh, listen and subscribe on there, obviously. And uh, we hope you do st- subscribe on your favorite podcast app because that way you get us into your uh, feed every single week without missing a show. So until next time, Keith, go Hawks. Go Hawks. Seahawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can find us on Twitter. Bill is at NW Seahawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. The show is at Hawks Playbook. And you can listen and subscribe to the show at SeahawksPlaybook.com.